We would like to welcome this congregation on this lovely, beautiful first Sabbath day of December 2023. Wonderful to have you here, and we want to welcome this congregation, every man and woman, boy and girl and infant child that has come into this sanctuary this morning. We are blessed beyond words to have you with us, so welcome. And then we would like to welcome all of our brothers and our sisters, the Covenant family scattered all over the hinterlands of America, beyond the Atlantic and the Pacific, to what to all the countries where Israelites today live in exile. We want to thank each of you for joining us. We are blessed to have you. And so wherever you are, the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ is now in session. And may God's name be praised, and may he be glorified. Let's pray, Father in heaven. In the blessed and holy name of thine only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who suffered and bled and died to redeem and save his people, in communion with the Holy Spirit, we humbly ask for your help today. Bless this congregation assembled. Nurture and water our souls. Fill us with the joy of our salvation and extend these same blessings to all the folks that join us across America and wherever Israelites live and dwell. And may the Holy Spirit lift up the remnant of your people today. Father in heaven, keep us in the hallow of your hands, deliver us from the judgments, the four sword judgments of the sword of famine, the noisome beast, and the pestilence and the plague that have been so often in history used to punish your wayward people. Guide us and uphold us, Lord God, in this day of great evil and wickedness. And help us, Father in heaven, to purpose in our hearts to live God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed, spirit-filled lives in a world of such great wickedness. May your people, Lord God, purpose in their hearts to come out and be separate from this herd that moves toward the abyss of the absurdity and give us help from heaven. Oh Lord, we plead in Christ's name and for the glory of his name and kingdom, we ask our prayers, amen. This will be our last flyover lesson of the book of Revelation. So we're going to take off today from Revelation 21 and 22. And we will be looking at Revelation at the end. So I'd like to have you look at your worksheet here for a moment. 
title of our lesson is Paradise Lost in Genesis, Restored in the Book of Revelation. There is no other book in the Bible that is so conclusive as to the end of history as the book of Revelation. No other book in all of Scripture punctuates so clearly, explicitly, and so marvelously the end of history, not of the world, but of history as we know it, as does the book of Revelation. So with those thoughts in mind, I'd like to have the congregation join your voices together in reading from Isaiah chapter number 46. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10, and we have printed that on the worksheet so that everyone has it right there in front of you. Can we join together in reading from this beautiful book called Isaiah? And in reference to the book of Isaiah, I remind the congregation that Isaiah, more than any other prophet or writer of the Old Testament outside of the book of Psalms, deals with the sovereignty of God in a marvelous way. If you would like to be blessed, double blessed, maybe even triple blessed, read Isaiah chapter 40 all the way through 46. This prophet over and over again exalts the God of Israel as the sovereign over all creation. Isaiah has the most beautiful, eloquent language on the sovereignty of God in the Old Testament. And you'll be blessed to read those verses that I've penciled in for you alongside that verse this morning. What we're going to do now, we've got to move rather rapidly, but here's, here's what we need to know. Men and women, boys and girls, everybody. You need to leave here today with assurance to know that God is sovereign and he writes the last chapter because you live in a world where everybody else is trying to keep you focused on all kinds of fearful things and there are fearful things to be concerned about I don't want to diminish, diminish that fact but you must never forget that God is the sovereign in history and that this congregation above all people must focus on God being the victorious, sovereign God over all of history, including the, the time that we're living. So trust in God. Leave here today with the assurance that everything God gave us in the beginning is going to come back in the end but in a much, much greater and more significant way. So here we go. We lost in Genesis, number one, what God created. In the beginning, the Bible says, and God 
So God created, the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything he made was perfect. And then that world became a fallen world because of sin's entry into the world. But listen to what Revelation says in chapter 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. What a radical change is coming. Let's go to number two. Satan's rebellion shortly after Genesis 2.1. Genesis 2.1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, Thus the heavens and the earth are finished. Then it says, and all the host of them. That's all the angels. If you would like to have confirmation of that, pencil in Luke 2 and verse 13. You also may want to read Nehemiah 9 verse 6, which designates the heavenly host as the angels that praise God. So that's when the angels were created. And now we know that God has everything under his control. And so we want to remember now that the leader of the fallen angels that led a third of them into rebellion... Their doom is listed in Revelation 3, 7 through 10. Now, we'll, we'll pass those verses by for now because we want to make it through the end here. So let's go to number three. The sun and the moon were created for light and life. Let's read these verses and Eric will... I'm sorry, Ezekiel will read them from Genesis 1, 14 through 16. Ezekiel will be our Old Testament reader this morning, and he'll read from Genesis 1, 14 through 16. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now, it's, it's amazing to think, folks, that one day the sun, the moon, and the stars will not be light, will not find their necessary uh, place as we find them today. Let's hear from Revelation 21, 23 as our brother Eric reads for us. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Can you imagine a world where the light of God will replace the lights of the sun and the moon? I don't think they'll pass away but there's a verse that says they'll be ashamed in the day that God lights up the world. Can you imagine the moon and the sun being ashamed of their feeble light when God's light lights up the world? Let's go now 
to number four. The darkness called he night. And, uh, and we'll have that, them read from Genesis 1-5. This will be Ezekiel. In the end of history, we're entering into a time when there will be no night. Now think about that. No night. Now you people that have been to Alaska and places where the sun really shines a lot, the light at least does, We'll have some idea of how that's going to be. But let's go to Revelation 22, 5. And Eric will read that for us. No darkness in that world. So that will be an energy efficient world. Let's go to number five. Waters are called the seas in Genesis 1.10, as we will find out from Ezekiel. And we've already discovered in our reading that there is no more sea left as in Revelation 21.1. So, but number six, a river for the earth's blessing. God gave all kinds of great rivers to benefit the earth and of life upon it in Genesis 2, 10 through 14. But there's a new river coming that we need to read about in Revelation 22, 1 and 2. So think of this new river that's coming. And we'll have Eric read that. Revelation 22, 1 and 2. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were, the, were for the healing of the nations. Thank you very, very much. On number seven, we remember that God, in the book of Genesis, created man in his own image and after his own likeness. Genesis 1:26, and God said, together, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness. Us is interesting, it's a plural pronoun. Our is interesting, it's a plural pronoun. Now all of you people that have understanding of the use of those plural pronouns have a leg up over those who don't. Let's go to Revelation 21, four and seven, four through seven, and Eric will read and show us the tremendous changes that are coming in Revelation 21, 4 through 7. And God shall wipe away all tears from their, from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, 
neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Can you imagine a world with no death, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering? What a world. That, that's, that's, there is no verses in the Bible that hold such promise more than that. Those are really beautiful verses. And if we could go now to number eight, sin's entry, entrance into the race of Adam. Sin entered into the race of Adam in Genesis 3. Sin entered into the universe shortly after the created, after the angels were created. Somewhere between Genesis 2, 1 and Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into the angels through Lucifer, but sin did not enter into the race of Adam until Genesis chapter 3. And that's a long chapter, so we'll not read it. You're familiar with it. And you're familiar with the fact that sin has been eliminated at the end in Revelation 21 and 22. But to punctuate that, let's took, look, we'll read from Revelation 21, verse 8. So if you'll turn to 21, Revelation 21, verse 8. This is one of the cardinal verses in these two chapters. Listen to this. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice now, Revelation 21, verse 8. Who leads the list of the wicked in Revelation 21, 8? The fearful... And the unbelieving are ahead of who? Murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. As we gather here on this Holy Sabbath day, beloved, there is no greater danger to be living in unbelief than to be living in unbelief. Unbelief is the is the to live in fear and unbelief. Think of the fear that that gripped America on March 13, 2020, when we were locked down for fear of a plague. Fear gripped this nation. Those who live by faith. Do not walk by fear. We're going to move now to number nine. The curse. Oh, God put a curse 
when sin entered into the world in Genesis chapter 3. May we read now from Genesis 3. Ezekiel will be our reader. Look for the word curse. Genesis verse 3, 14, and 17. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So the curse was pronounced in Genesis. And notice what happens to the curse in Revelation 22, verse 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. The curse will be lifted at the end of history. And so now we turn to number 10, death entered into the world, wherefore is by one man Adam, Sin entered into the world, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's Romans 5.12. Death entered into the world in Genesis, and notice verse 19. Genesis 3 and verse 19. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it, thou wast, out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. There's no one in this congregation that can appreciate this more than our brother Jacob, who just returned from Knoxville, Tennessee, from the funeral of his, his father. To know that one day there will be no more death. Let's read that in Revelation 21.4 again. We've heard it once, let's hear it again. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Thank you. And now number 11. In the book of Genesis, we find that after Adam and Eve had entered into the sin, that the cherubim is mentioned for the very first time in the Bible, and the cherubim is an order of angels that were appointed to guard the way to the tree of life. But let's read about it from Genesis 3, verse 24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. The way of the tree of life guarded by the cherubims. No one could come back into that tree. But let's read about the tree of life in Revelation 22, verse 14. And there are no guards there. Read. Blessed are they that do his commandments, they, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So now we have 
No more necessary guarding of the tree of life at the end of history. We will now go to number 12 in the book of Genesis. Adam, man, after sin entered into the world, is driven from the Garden of Eden. Literally pushed out. Adam wanted to go back. He and Eve knew now that they didn't want to live in a world with the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to return to that perfect world, but they were not allowed to. So let's read about it in Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, in the book of Revelation, man, we just read it from Revelation 22, 14. Man has access, the redeemed have access now to the tree of life. At the end of history, the tree of life will be there unguarded. Let's go now to sorrow and suffering entered into Genesis in 3, 16 and 17. Now, All of the ladies in this congregation that have born a child know about the suffering of Genesis 3.16, but we're going to read it. This is why, this is why ladies suffer when they have a child. Genesis 3.16 and 17. Thank you. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So notice now, before sin entered into the world, if Adam and Eve wanted to have a child every 500 years, I guess that would have been fine. Before sin entered into the world, every child that is born is going to live forever if sin doesn't enter into the world. But after sin's entry into the world, now we have natural disasters. Now we have wars. Now we have plagues. Now we have tragedies. Now we have every imaginable thing that's taking children away from us. So God says, multiply the children. He tells the ladies you're going to have more children than you anticipated. And then in verse 17... God tells the men why the women are going to be able to have more children, but will not go any further down that road. But you need to know that as a mature Christian. So let's go to verse 15, chapter, uh, number 15. In Genesis 15, God used a flood to destroy the wicked, the wicked of the world. Let's read about it. No, no, we won't read about it. 
We're going to read only from chapter 6. If you've not read these verses lately, they need to be read out loud. So we're going to have uh, Ezekiel, or correction, uh, Eric read from Revelation. No, 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 I'm sorry. Okay, I need to make a correction, church. Oh my, my goodness, my computer is not always accurate. It's whatever is programmed into it, unfortunately. It doesn't know, which is interesting because don't trust your computers to do anything that first has not been checked by the operator. That should be Genesis 6, 11 through 13, and Ezekiel will be our reader. Folks, listen. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Amen and amen. The flood of Genesis. Brother Noah, would you stand up and show that little book I gave you? Here's a brand new book on the Genesis flood for anyone that's interested in that subject. Now, let's see about another flood. The book of Revelation tells us about another flood to destroy the children of God. We'll read about it in Revelation chapter 12, and we'll read verses 15, 16, and 17 from chapter 12. Watch these words carefully. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth, and swallowed up the flood which, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So at the end of history, there's going to be a flood seeking to devour the seed of the woman. And they are identified as those that have the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's a relevant, very, very relevant uh, word for us today. So with those thoughts in mind, we will move to number 16. In Genesis, the rainbow was a token of God's covenant with Noah and the earth. God gave a covenant in Genesis 9. We'll have our brother Ezekiel turn to Genesis 9. And I'll have him read from Genesis 9. 15 through 17. Watch carefully about the rainbow. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, 
This is the token of the covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. It is amazing, church, that the wicked of our generation, speaking now of the people that pride themselves in being queer, have taken the rainbow, God's beautiful rainbow, and made it a symbol of their, of their worldview. And the pride flag, as they now call it, waves from most of the American embassies around the world to the shame of this country. God's rainbow was stolen by the, the queers of our generation. Well, notice what the book of Revelation says about the rainbow. And we'll read from Revelation 4, verse 3, and 10, verse 1. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their, crown, on their heads crowns of gold. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of fire. The end of history, God will reclaim the rainbow. So let's all be positive about it. 17, in the book of Genesis, we know that Sodom and Egypt were both places of corruption. That was the place where Israel was in chains, in bondage, in slavery. And Sodom was the hangout for all of the, of the uh, shall we say, the queers of that generation. But we know that in Genesis 13 and 19, where that's all described, that we have in Revelation 11 through, and verse 8, we have a repeat of those same two places identified with Jerusalem. We'll not read that today because we're a little bit short on time. But let's go to number 18. In Genesis, there is a confederacy against Abraham's people. And, J and Abraham was called to face and fight off that confederacy. Now there's a confederacy to wage war against Abraham's seed again in Genesis, correction, in Revelation 12. And both of those entire chapters would be relevant, so we will not read from those. But let's go to 19. The marriage of the first Adam took place in Genesis 2. 18 through 25. We need to read this because this is relevant. This tells us that it's not good that a man should be alone. Jordan Peterson just made a podcast where he warned young men not to stay single. He said, if you stay single, you'll only be half a man. You will never be the man you could be if you stay single. So the recommendation was 
marry early, not later. Have children early, not later. Find the girl of your choice early, not later, but not so early that you're foolish, and not so later as you wait so long that your seed has lost its punch. So let's go to 19. The marriage of the first Adam. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We live in a generation where marriage has been disgraced. Marriage has been defamed, profaned. Remember this, dear congregation, that God's definition of marriage remains unchanged. All who believe God and Scripture remain unchanged in their definition of marriage. You pay no attention to the Supreme Court decision and no attention to the Same-Sex Marriage Act. So let's go now to Revelation 19.9. We'll find another marriage at the end of history. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And then Revelation 20. We find a bride sought for Abraham's son Isaac and found in Genesis 24. I believe, and I stand corrected if I'm wrong, Genesis 24 is the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. God takes more time to look for a wife for Isaac than he does for any other event in the book of Genesis. So that would remind me that when a young man's looking for a wife, he better look carefully. A house and riches are the inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the living God. Proverbs 19.14 Proverbs 18.22 Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth a favor of the Lord. All you men that think you have a good wife can take your hand take the hand of your wife and hold it tight. Be grateful for that woman. 
Okay. Now we're going to read from Revelation 19, 7 and 8. Listen to this at the end of history, what it says. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. That word wife is important because it's telling us that God is going to restore the very same people that he married at Mount Sinai. We're not going to, God is not going to look for a new bride. He's not going to march down the aisle at the end of history with a multiracial bride. God will have the same woman, but he died for that woman. So that means that everything will be perfect in terms of his law. Number 21, two angels acted for God on behalf of his people. In Genesis 19, two angels knocked at Lot's door to bear witness of the impending destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. At the end of history, two witnesses acting for God on behalf of his people appear in the book of Revelation. So we come to number 22, the promised seed to possess the gate of his enemies. In Genesis 22:17, listen to what God promised to Isaac, to all of his posterity. That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. In Revelation 20, verse 6, Israel comes back in possession of the land. We'll read it from Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. In Genesis 34, we find that Adam man's came his dominion, the dominion of the earth, ended for Adam when he was shut out of the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3:24, which we've already read. Satan's dominion is ended, and the dominion restored to the redeemed in Jesus Christ in Revelation 22. In the old, in Genesis, um, the old serpent introduced sin, suffering, and death in Genesis 3.1. But when we come to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, here is what happens to Satan. Now, heads up. For all the people that don't believe there is any Satan, no devil, no Lucifer, no angel that led all the angels in rebellion. Take a look at these verses and try to figure this out. Now remember, if you listen to the writings, the rhetoric, the preaching of a lot of identity preachers today, there is no Satan. Take a look at this in Revelation 20, 20 verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the, great, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, 
that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. The ultimate doom of the serpent that we just identified in Revelation 20, verse 2. Hear this, hear this. Revelation 22 identified Satan, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now, I don't know how the no-devil people can so cleverly ignore all these verses, but they do, and they have some kind of a, they have, they have an answer, but it's not a logical, reasonable answer. can be refuted from Scripture over and over and again and again. So let's read about Satan, the ultimate doom of Satan, is in Genesis 3.15. His execution of that judgment is in Revelation 20. And verse 10, we need to read these two. So let's read Genesis 3.15. We ought to know this by heart. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's a promise that Satan's head will be bruised. That means it will be destroyed. You may want to read Romans 16.20 of who's going to do that. Let's go to uh, Revelation 20 and verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Amen and amen. Now here's an interesting uh, a comparison. In the book of Genesis, chapter 37, 9, a young man has a dream. A young teenage boy, he's actually 17 years old. And he dreams this dream that his brothers didn't like. That's Joseph in Genesis 37, 9. Let's read from Genesis 37, verse 9. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. Now there's another, there's another fulfillment of that dream in Revelation 12, 1 and 2. So we ought to probably read that, if we could read that from Revelation 12, 1 and 2. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. That was the Messiah that's going to be born from that woman. Let's go to 27, where the woman's seed is to bruise the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15. We've just read that. And the serpent's head will be bruised and destroyed by Jesus, the serpent bruiser, and listen to how he does it in Revelation 19:11. This is a this is a coming event yet to be ha uh, occurring on this earth. 
And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Amen. And now, if you read to the end of that, that army that is being led by Christ at his second coming, if you read everything about that army, that, that army is going to destroy all the wicked from this earth. So this takes us now to verse 28, and we're coming down the home straight, stretch to number 28. The woman Eve in deception bought the lie of the serpent in Genesis 3 and verse 6. Verse 6, Genesis 3, the woman finally caves in to the serpent, to the serpent who's on two feet, very handsome angel. 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of what? An angel of light. You better pencil in Genesis, uh, uh, see, 2 Corinthians 2.14 there. So, the woman Eve in deception buys the lie of the serpent in Genesis 3. In Revelation 12.1 and 2, another woman that we just read, a woman from the woman, a virgin named Mary unties the knot Eve tied in Genesis 3.1. How did Eve untie the knot? Through the miracle of the virgin birth. What the woman surrendered in Eden, a correction, what the woman surrendered in Genesis 3, when Eve was beguiled, Mary gained back in the virgin birth. You'd have to, you're going to have to think about that one. In Genesis 3, 1 through 6, we know that all of that was happening back there in Genesis. Luke 1, 30 through 38 is marvelous reading. You might want to pencil that in under number 28. 29, in Genesis, Abraham seeks for an inheritance in the land of promise. Genesis 12, 13, and 15. In Revelation 20, verse 6, Abraham and his redeemed children gain possession of the land. Eric, could you read 20, verse 6? Blessed is and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And finally, number 30, the book of Genesis ends with Satan, prince of this world, in dominion of the real estate of the earth and the souls of men. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, the dominion of the earth and the redeemed souls will again return with full possession and dominion of the earth. So I'd like to say, beloved, that Genesis is the template for the entire Bible. 
every thread of truth woven into the tapestry of God's Word find its ultimate complement in the book of Revelation. And that may be why Revelation is so important. Now the seed and germ of every truth found in Christianity is rooted in the soil of, of Genesis. So here's something for all of us to remember. In our time of history, there's a lot of heretical teaching in the world. There's a lot of heretical teaching in denominational Christianity, but it's not confined to denominational Christianity. There's a lot of heresy in the remnant church of God. And it can be rooted out by looking for a root of whatever you believe in Genesis. But it has no root in Genesis, you might want to watch out. There's an old saying, if it's new, it isn't true. If it's true, it isn't new. And I could go by, take all, most of the doctrines, for example, and we'll end here now. The rapture doctrine began in 1820. It has now captured millions of evangelical Christians who believe that they're going to be paid up, prayed up to go up. It had its beginning in 1820. That's how people buy heresy. They don't know their Bibles. So let's all be standing today, and we're, we'll not turn this off yet, but I want to remind everyone how grateful I am. Now, we have taken six hours to fly over the book of Revelation. I think it took them two hours to fly to the Budor family, to fly to Costa Rica, but it's taken us six hours to fly over the top of the book of Revelation. So may God bless you. And we'll call this landing here today the end of our look at Revelation. We did not get into a lot of detail or we would be in the book of Revelation for the winter of 2024. Thank you.